Welcome to the Faith Bridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by Bible teacher Clay Scroggins and was recorded on Sunday, December 11th, 2022. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You can also follow us on Instagram at faithbridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called Faith Bridge Live at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Clay. Well, good morning, everybody, and Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, so good to be with you. So good to see you. My name is Clay Scroggins, and I, uh, I'm a pastor and get the chance to preach some, and really grateful to get to be here at Faithbridge. Uh, my wife and I are really, um, man, we are in the Christmas season, in the Christmas spirit. We had a couple of Christmas parties last night. We had the middle school dance last night, which, uh, I don't know, that was fraught with anxiety, as a parent, that's how I felt anyway. Um, but we got a lot going on. I'm sure you have a lot going on as well. It, it's wild to believe, uh, Ken, I hadn't even thought about that when you said it, that there's just two Sundays left, really one Sunday left after this one, and then Sunday Christmas. And so just for the sake of today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Luke 1. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you, if you need a Bible, or if you don't have a Bible and you want to be able to hold one and look at one, and even um, if you're welcome to take it home as well, um, you can just ask for one. There will be somebody in the aisle who's got one for you. But you can go ahead and turn there, and we're going to talk about uh, a a story that really sets the context for what we know as uh, what has become the Christmas story, the story of how Jesus came to earth, came to be with us. But before we get to any of that, I just want to think for a second. Uh, I want to ask you to do a little uh, exercise of imagination Would you think about your perfect Christmas? What's your perfect Christmas? You can just imagine it. I mean, just before we even know it, you're going to be there on Christmas Eve. Maybe you're just sitting there in your living room. I want you to think about the music that's playing. Maybe you want some Michael Buble in the background. I don't know. Maybe you want to play some classics, you know, like Dean Martin or Bing Crosby or the Chipmunks. You know, some of those like real classic Christmas songs I'm sure it's Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is probably in the playlist somewhere, definitely. Um, I want you to think about the fireplace, right? I want you to think about the scent that's in the air. You're sitting there in your favorite chair with just your favorite children around you. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Any chair would probably do, honestly. Whatever, um, I just wanted to say today that whatever your perfect Christmas is, it is not going to happen. So let's pray. (laughs) It's not though, right? I mean, it's as wild as it is. We all know you've lived long enough to know that your perfect Christmas, it's just not going to happen. And it's wild how Christmas, um, as it, it is the most wonderful time of the year. It's such a, a beautiful season, such a wonderful season. There's so many great things about the season of Christmas. But it also, it, it has this shadow side to it. Where it has this way of reminding us of all the things that are wrong, or all the things that are broken, or all the things that aren't as we wish they were, right? I mean, for your Christmas, I'm, I'm sure somebody's going to maybe burn a, a, a dish that you were really excited about eating. Somebody's going to give a gift to someone that's going to cause a complete meltdown. Somebody's going to 
show up that you wish wasn't there, somebody who you wish was there is not going to show up. Someone is going to bring up politics and get in a big fight at Christmas. Somebody's going to drink too much. Somebody's going to say something at the wrong time. Christmas has this way of reminding us that our, our life is not the way, exactly the way we would want it to be. I mean, some of you maybe are, are going to be missing someone this year. Maybe it'll be your first Christmas without someone that you love. Or maybe it's just that time of year that reminds you that that person that you love is not with you this year. Maybe it, it's going to remind you that you wish you were married and still in this season of singleness. Or maybe you and your spouse are really hoping to, to have a child and it just hasn't happened for you. And this season just has a way of reminding you of that. Maybe you're fresh off of a broken relationship and this season's going to be extra hard because of that. There, there's just, a, there's just this, this thing about Christmas that just reminds us that it is not as it should be. That life is not all that we want it to be. That there is still so much more about life that we wish was different. That we wish was the way we wanted it to be. Christmas, uh, it's wild how it is. Um, it's the perfect season to remind us of all that's imperfect about life. And, and it makes sense that it is so because that's really the way the Christmas story, that's the way Jesus comes on to the scene in Luke 1 and then in Luke 2 as well, we, we read the story of how Jesus was pronounced, how Jesus came into this world through this young virgin named Mary. Next week, we're going to talk about the end of Luke 1, about Mary's song and about Luke 2, the story that we've all heard, maybe you've heard many times before in those days of Caesar Augustus and Luke 2, the way it begins but there's so much about the Christmas story. There's so much about the story of Jesus entering the world that is just, it's just fraught with difficulty, right? I mean, Mary, for one, she didn't want to, she didn't want it to go down like this. She was engaged to be married and she was hoping to have just kind of a, a, a normal engagement season and in love with this guy named Joseph, we would assume. And that's not the way they would have wanted their relationship to go. This actually caused her potential great harm. She could have lost her life over this because she became pregnant while they were engaged. But she also could have lost her life over the pregnancy itself, over the, the, the delivery of the baby itself. She wasn't delivering a baby in the most perfect of circumstances, right? I mean, can you imagine being Joseph showing up at that inn, being like, you don't have room? I just, I thought for sure you had room. I've got a reservation number. Can I give you that? You know, they ask you that wild question. Could you have made it under another name? Why would I have done that? Why would I have made the reservation under another name? Right? <laughs> but no wonder it was a silent light for Joseph because his wife's delivering a baby in this stable. There was no room for them in the inn. They had to, they had to do this out with all the animals. And even before that, this long ride that they had to take 70, 80 miles on the back of a donkey. I mean, everything about this was imperfect. Everything about this was not the way we would want it to be. We picture, you know, in the, the, the ornaments and when, when we see the nativity scene, it's also pretty and it's wonderful and it's perfect, right? But that is not the way Christmas was and that is not the way Christmas 
is. No, Christmas, it has this way of reminding us of all that is not right about this world, of all that's not right about our world. Even in the story in Luke 1, we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, the story that comes before the story. You know, if you're, a, if you're into history, if you like historical podcasts, or if you like watching the History Channel, or if you like reading books about, you know, the, the ancient times, or even the times of, of big wars throughout the past, right? You know the way it works is you got to back way up, and you got to set the context. you got to give all the context so that when the event happens, everybody's like, oh my goodness, it has so much more meaning now, right? And that's really what Luke 1 is all about. Luke 1 is not about the pronouncement of Jesus, but it's about the pronouncement of Jesus' second cousin, John the Baptist. It's, it's similar in, in flow because we get this pronouncement of a baby, and then we get this uh, angelic intervention, and then we get this story about the birth of the baby, just like we do at the end of Luke 1 and in Luke 2. That there's so much symmetry here. But I want to talk about this little, this maybe little-known story, this story that precedes Jesus, this story that sets the stage, that gives us the context. And what we're going to find is, is as wonderful as Mary's response is to the angel, we'll hear more about that in weeks to come, as wonderful as Mary's cousin Elizabeth, as her response is to the angel, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, who is a priest, who he should have known better. If anyone who didn't have an excuse, it was this man. He was a priest. He comes from this long line of priests. But his response to the angel was anything but perfect. It was probably about what ours would have been. Wait, what? Seriously? I need more information, right? That's what we're going to find. But I want to pick it up. I want to pick it up in, in verse 5, and we're going to read a few verses. We're not going to read the whole chapter or the whole section, but I've pulled out just a few verses that are going to highlight the storyline of what happens. And in the middle of it, what I hope is that maybe we might find something out. Maybe we might see the way Zechariah and Elizabeth saw that might allow us to reconcile our imperfect circumstances. Here's the way it reads. In the time of Herod, I love that he starts this way because Luke is, a, Luke is a researcher and so he's letting us know, hey, this is history, this is real life, that there were people that really ruled in this day and one of them, as we learn right here, his name was Herod. Herod's gonna come on the scene later on in the story as he threatens the life of baby Jesus. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest, his name was Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant from Aaron, meaning that priests didn't necessarily choose their occupation. Priests became priests because they were from the line of Aaron. So he shows up to a family reunion, and everyone there is doing the same job, right? Maybe you come from a long line of salespeople or a long line of educators or a long line of entrepreneurs. Well, Zechariah came from a long line of priests, and so you would think that he would know better because he knew of all the promises of God. In fact, uh, Luke tells us both of them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were both righteous in the sight of God. They observed all the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. Now, of course, they were not blameless. They had their own faults. But for the most part, they were diligent. They were dutiful. They did the right thing. But what we're going to find here, just like you have found, is doing the right thing and being dutiful doesn't ensure that your circumstances are like you would wish they would be. And that's even more maddening, right? 
it's one thing when you feel like, well, I kind of deserved it, right? I've been living off the, I've been living in a wayward sense. I've been living rebelliously. I've been doing my own thing. But no, no, they were going, God, we are trusting you. We're believing in you. We're, we're living out the commandments of God in a blameless kind of way, but yet it wasn't working out for them. Look at what the next verse says, verse seven. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Let's talk about that for just a second. Not the very old part. Let's skip past that, right? None of us want to talk about being very old. But thank you, Luke, I'm sure. Zechariah and Elizabeth are saying, very old? Really, Luke? Okay. Now, let's talk about the first part. Let's talk about this idea of them being childless. And then the second part that he says that it was Elizabeth who was not able to conceive, that he almost infers that the blame goes to the female, right? In this, in this day and age, we've got to understand the first century, that in this day and age, children were a sign of, of what? what? What were children a sign of? Blessing from God? They were a sign of wealth? They were a sign of God's goodness? And so to not have children in this day and age, you know, your children were your... Your children were, were your insurance clause. Your children were the assurance that you were going to be taken care of in your old age. Your children were seen as a blessing. I mean, in that day and age, my wife and I have five kids. And when we walk around Walmart with five kids, people look at us like we are crazy. Like God has cursed us. Like what has happened to you? Do you not know how this happens? But in this day and age... If a man and a woman would have walked around Walmart with five kids, everyone would have bowed in reverence. Everyone would have said, oh my goodness, this is incredible. What have you done to be so blessed? God clearly favors you. And so Elizabeth and Zechariah, over and over again, and, and you all have experienced this maybe personally for those of you that have walked through a season of infertility, but even if you haven't, it's, it is amazing how many people have, and you certainly know people who have. And it's just that death by a thousand cuts. It's that over and over again, the sense of, should we even hope? Should we even want this? Is this just a setup for a letdown? It's just a, a million tiny little cuts tiny little daggers into our hope that causes, and and unfortunately we have to grieve them, we have to deal with them silently. People don't even see it, right? And so Zechariah and Elizabeth are walking through this. I mean, you want to talk about an imperfect Christmas. I mean, it was not the way they hoped it would be. And of course they get together in this season with all the other family members and thinking, oh, this is so great for you all that it's working out, but it's not working out for us. And worse, it was seen as Elizabeth's problem, even though we don't know whose problem it really was, right? There was no medical options in this day and age. At least now there's so much hope. We have a, a, a pretty solid system of adoption, but we also have all kinds of fertility treatments where there really is, there is more hope than people usually see in that moment. But in this day and age, there was just no hope. I mean, they were just at God's mercy, Begging God over and over again, God, please, 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 please bless us, bless us, bless us. 
And then they were getting along in age, which was making it more and more difficult. You, you can see, you can feel it, right? I mean, every one of us can relate on some level to what Zechariah and Elizabeth were dealing with. That this is not what we would hope for. This is not what we would ask for. So what do we do? What do we do in this season with these imperfect circumstances? Well, in their case, um, in their case, God's going to directly intervene. God sends an angel to them. God sends a member of his heavenly host. In this case, it was the angel of Gabriel. If Gabriel shows, on the, shows up on the scene, you're feeling good. This is going to be some really good news, right? Now, they didn't know that at the time, but we can look back on that and see, oh, is Gabriel? Oh, good news. It's a pronouncement. Something good is about to happen, right? I mean, I am not, there's a lot of things that I've been praying for in my own life, but one of them is not, God, would you please interrupt my prayer with an angel to let me know what, no, I would just rather not, you know, that's a little too much for me. That's a little too direct. That feels too honest and too upfront. But in this case, this is exactly what happens. Now, I know this is maybe hard for some of us to understand or believe that an angel would actually appear, but who really knows? I love what C.S. Lewis says in Screwtape Letters. He says that there are people who obsess over angels and demons, and we shouldn't do that. But there are people who dismiss all the angels and demons, and we shouldn't do that either. That there is this realm of another world that we cannot see. So it's hard to really know what happened in this day and age, and it's hard to really know what happens today. But according to Luke, the angel appears first to Zechariah. says to Zechariah, here's what he says, The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Always the angel's first statement because people were shuddering in fear, right? Clean yourself up, Zechariah. Everything's gonna be okay. Don't be afraid. It's gonna go well for you. Your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. This seems like great, great news, right? The angel continues. He says it only gets better from here. He says, he will be a joy. He will be a delight to you. He will, people, many will rejoice because of his birth. And then he goes on to say that he will be a forerunner for the one who is to come. He's going to be the one who is going to lead the way, who is going to pronounce the way, who is going to be the message carrier, the vision carrier for Jesus. And what's beautiful about the role of John the Baptist is we all get invited into this same role. Side note, not a part of what this sermon is about today, but we get to participate in the same thing that John the Baptist, in the same mission that he had for his life, that he is the pronouncement that a savior has come, that the the Messiah is here, that the one that we have hoped for, the one that we have been so desperate for, God has been silent for so many years, but God has now delivered and his Messiah is here. His name is Emmanuel. His name is Jesus. And this was the mission of John's life. And this can be the mission of my life. And this can be the mission of your life as well, should you so choose to accept this mission. I don't know of a better mission than this one. But this was what John's life was all about. And the angel is telling Zechariah all of this. But Zechariah, like you and like me would do, we would go, this seems hard to fathom. Number one, I'm talking to an angel, so this isn't the most standard form of communication, God. Secondly, I need more. I need to understand. This doesn't make sense. We've tried and we've tried and we've tried and we've tried and it is not working out. And we cannot, I cannot go to my wife and tell her, hey, I've got some great news. We're actually pregnant. How do you know? An angel told me. Oh, get out of here, Zechariah. Are you kidding me? Have you been into the wine again, right? 
I mean, this is ridiculous. He's probably thinking, I can't get set up for a disappointment again. And so he does what we do. He seeks clarity. And we're going to find, there's a couple of things that we find out in this, in this contextual story getting ready for Jesus. One of them is that sometimes we ask for evidence and sometimes we insist on evidence of God's activity and we don't need to. Sometimes we just need to open up our hands and say, God, I'm going to trust you. If you want to show me, you can show me. But God, I'm going to trust you whether you show me or whether you don't. But then one of the other things that we're going to find is that there are times when we are perplexed as to what God's doing. There are times when we are confused as to what God is doing. And in those moments, we're going to find that it is okay to go seek clarity. It is okay in humility to go and say, God, I need to understand. I need more. And maybe that's where you are. And if you are, I just want to encourage you, go full on to him. Go and tell him, God, I'm confused. I don't understand. This is not the way we thought it was going to go. God, I need more from you. Sometimes we need to open up our hands and trust. And sometimes it's okay to say, God, I, I, I need clarity. And Zechariah does that. Here's what he says. He asks the angel, he says, how can this be? How can I be sure of it? I am an old man and my wife is well along in his years. Love the way he puts that. He's like, I wouldn't dare call her old. I'm old. She's just well along in her years. But boy, she is looking as good as she has ever looked before. What a wonderful woman she is, but also well along in her years, right? I mean, he tells this angel this saying, I don't understand how this is gonna happen. And what's interesting is that God through the angel, tells him, Zechariah, because you are insisting on this, because you can't just trust and believe, I am going to close your mouth. I am going to make you silent for the remainder of the childbirth. Now, I have, uh, my wife and I have, uh, we've had a number of children, and I have been a part of a number of different pregnancies with her, and all of them with her, and also the births of these children as well. And one of the things I thought about when I thought this, I thought, you know what, if God closed my mouth and made me silent during the childbirth, I don't think that would be that bad of a thing, you know? Uh, that would have saved me a lot of trouble, sticking my foot in my mouth more times than I wish I would have. So in some ways, we don't know if this was discipline or was this a blessing. We don't know, was this God's punishment for him not believing or was this, God, or was this God's provision for his stupidity? We don't really know, but either way, this is what God does to him. He says, you're not going to speak until this baby is going to be born. And after this, his wife, Elizabeth, she became pregnant. Verse, uh, what the next verse, yeah, verse 24. After this, his wife, Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months, she remained in seclusion. We, we don't know why she remained in seclusion. Maybe she was just guarding her own heart. Maybe she was just being safe, being cautious, but for whatever reason, for the first five months of this pregnancy, she remained in seclusion and then her response, this is so beautiful. And I love that Luke does this, that Luke says, the man responded without any faith. But look at this heroic woman who responded with such great faith. I love that he does that. What a great thing. He allows us to know, here's what Elizabeth, here's how she handled this. She said, the Lord has done this for me. I want you to just remember that line, if you would. I want you to just take a mental snapshot of that line. Maybe underline it in your Bible. Maybe text it to yourself. But I want you to think about, the Lord has done this for me. See, here, here's, what, 
here's what we all know is that what you want the Lord to have done for you, he might not have done, but it doesn't mean the Lord has done nothing for you. I think one of the ways that we, one of the ways that we reconcile our circumstances is by believing that the Lord has done this for me. He has done something for me. Maybe it's not, God, what have you done lately for me? But maybe it's, God, what have you done for me ever? And the answer is so much. You've done so much for me. On that imperfect Christmas Eve or the imperfect Christmas day where things are not going the way you want it to be, one of the ways that we reconcile our circumstances is by believing that the Lord has done something for me. What is it? Look, look at what she continues to say. Can you put that back up there? She says, the Lord has done this for me, she said. And in these days, he has shown his favor and he has taken away my disgrace among the people. He's done this. He's favored me. He has done this for me. That the Lord, he's lavished goodness on me. It might have taken longer than I wanted it to take. It might not have been done in the way that I would have wanted it to have been done. It might not have been in a way that I would have chosen it. But the Lord has done this good. He has done something good for me. I, I think the way that, one of the ways that we reconcile our imperfect circumstances is to believe that God has chosen you. Maybe you would even say, I, I would have never chosen these circumstances, but I can be sure that God has chosen me. I would never have chosen all these imperfections that Christmas is reminding me of, but I can be sure, I can be confident that God has chosen me. This is important for me in this season. My wife and I, we've um, worked for a church for 20 years, and a year and a half ago, we made this big shift and now I'm speaking a lot to audiences and crowds and businesses and organizations and corporations, but also preaching a lot at different churches. And it's been fantastic. But the Christmas season has brought up some things that I realize, oh, I continue to grieve these. There are some things that I hoped would happen that didn't end up happening. And believing that God, maybe I wouldn't have chosen for it to go down the way it went down, but God, I can still rest assured that you have chosen me. You can believe that. Maybe you wouldn't choose this season of singleness that you're in, or maybe you feel like you're in a season where you feel alone, or maybe you feel like our family's not the way I want it to be, but even in the middle of all that, you can sit back and rest assured, God, yeah, I wouldn't have chosen these circumstances, but God, you've chosen me. There's a couple things we see from Elizabeth. There's a couple things we would see from Mary as well as we continue to read in Luke 1, which I would encourage you to do throughout Mary's song, we see that Mary and Elizabeth both believe that God has chosen you. God has. He has chosen you. He, he loves you, cares for you, believes in you, and has chosen you. And whatever you are in the middle of, he feels like you can handle this. You can't see it right now, but this will work out for your good. I know this is hard. I know it's not the way you would have wanted it to be. I know you would have never chosen these circumstances, but you can believe that God has chosen you. And it's very evident that they both believe not only has God chosen me, but God is also with you. 
Now, fortunately, in their case, they both have an angelic intervention. They both have this angelic moment where Gabriel shows up and says, the Lord God is with you. But the beauty of what we know about Jesus, that he has come and he has given up his life on a Roman cross and death was not the end, but he has resurrected from the dead. That because of that assurance that we have, we can believe that God is with us. You can believe that God is with you. No matter how bad Christmas gets, no matter how hard Christmas gets, you gotta be able to hold on to that idea that the very essence of the Christmas story is this name that Jesus was called, Emmanuel. That the Lord God has descended from on high has crammed all his divinity into a human body so that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is right here with us. And after Jesus was resurrected, he ascended into heaven and left us his spirit, the ultimate assurance to know that no matter what we walk through, whether it's the high of the mountain, the low of the valley, the darkness of night, that the almighty God is with you. He's with you. Not only has God chosen you, not only is God with you, but we learned from Mary and Elizabeth that God is, he's for you. He's for you. I don't know if you believe that. I have times where I don't know that I can really believe that because sometimes I just think, God, I don't know. Do you really care about the details of my life? Do you really understand that me and my wife are wondering, questioning everything we've ever learned about parenting? Our five-year-old this week, the principal from our preschool called us and said, your five-year-old got in trouble for riding on all the chairs in the classroom. And we thought we were beyond that. Now, granted, he is our last child and we have definitely given up on parenting because we're exhausted. But we haven't had this happen with any other child. They all know you don't do that. But this one, for whatever reason, thought that this is art class and we should decorate these lovely chairs, that they've, these boring chairs that they've given us. And it's caused my wife and I to look at each other and be like, is this the, are we gonna completely come off the rails with this five-year-old at this point? Everything else is pretty stable, pretty good. And we got this one preschooler that's acting like an inmate. What in the world is going on? I mean, that's how I wonder, and I pray about it, and I go, God, I mean, I want to pray about the details of his life and our life, but do you really care? Are you really present in the details of our life? One of the things we learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth's story and Mary and Joseph's story is that God is intricately involved in the details of life. And he's intricately involved in the details of your life as well. And you can trust that. And you can believe that. And when things aren't the way they should be, or when things aren't the way you would hope them to be, or when things aren't the way you would want them to be, you have to hang on to this truth that God has chosen me, that God is with me, and that God is for me. I know this Christmas season, maybe for some of you, is going to be challenging. For all of us, it's going to, there's going to be some kind of heartbreak or some kind of situation that we hope wouldn't happen. 
I mean, I, genuinely, my hope would be that yours is the perfect Christmas season, and you would look back and go, you know, we heard that sermon a couple weeks before, and well, I will, I mean, I cannot believe it, but it worked out exactly like we wanted it to work out. And if it does, please let me know. I would love to be surprised. I would love to hope and pray and believe that for some of you, it is going to go just the way you would want it to go. But I just know that in the middle of heartbreak, in the middle of hardship, in the middle of obstacle and challenge, in the middle of what feels like this is the imperfect Christmas, that Christmas is the perfect season to reconcile imperfect circumstances. Zechariah and Elizabeth had to do it. Mary and Joseph had to do it. And you and I can do it as well. That we can reconcile our imperfect circumstances. Maybe it means letting go of an expectation. Maybe it means letting go of this perfect family that you hoped you would have or that you hoped would be. And maybe it means just relishing the fact that you were in God's family. You ever thought about that? Christmas, yeah, it's all about family. It is. Which is why it's hard, because family's not always great. Family can sometimes be really challenging. And no matter the ups or the downs of this Christmas season, maybe, maybe this year you just hang on to the fact that, God, you have adopted me into your family. And I'm just going to relish in that. I'm just going to let that be what fills me up. I mean, am I going to get the car on the driveway with the bow on it? I don't know. Maybe you will. Am I going to get the, the bonus from the boss that I've already put toward the swimming pool in the backyard? Or is it going to end up being a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club? I don't know what it's going to be for you. But I know this, that Christmas is the perfect time to reconcile imperfect circumstances. And you can hang on to the fact that God has invited you to be in his family. And for those of you that never done that before, maybe today would be the day you do that. Where you put your hope, you put your trust, you put your belief, not in circumstances to turn out the way you want them to be, but in the fact that you are broken, you are a sinner, you are dead in your sin, but God has made a way for you to be alive in Jesus. And that would be the ultimate hope for you. Father, I pray... Um, I pray for myself, but I pray for my friends here at FaithBridge, for every one of us that in this season, when things don't go as the way we would hope, that we would let Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph be inspirations to us, that that's just sometimes the way it works out, and you would give us that ability to hope when we can't hope, and believe when we can't believe, and trust when we can't trust. And as we appropriate our faith, as we apply our faith, that we would put our faith, not in circumstances, but we would put our faith in the, the truth that cannot be shaken, that you have invited us to call, to call you Father. You've invited us into your family. And I pray that that would be the anchor to our soul this holiday season. Thank you for Jesus, for his life, for his death, and for his resurrection that means everything to us. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen.